When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Deck maintenance isn't fun. Move the furniture and barbecue, sand and prep, paint, seal, or get a low-maintenance Trex deck. The only colour fade you'll have to deal with is watching the sunset. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you all. It's 9.03 here on SENZ and uh, a Tuesday, beautiful day down in Hawke's Bay. And I imagine that up in Auckland it's uh, going to be a beautiful day tomorrow, whatever, because at least, at least you can do things. Not everything, but things you can do a little bit more and enjoy. Some of the more simple pleasures in life. Uh, we wish you all the best for that. Uh, our show is uh, pretty involved today. Uh, we have uh, former Silver Ferns coach, former uh, Silver Fern, in fact, uh, Yvonne Willering, very shortly as we look back on that performance last night by the Silver Ferns. Phil Tautarangi, it's Ryder Cup week, so uh, we'll talk a, a little bit about that with Phil. Uh, Sir BG, Sir Brian Williams on the rivalry against South Africa. Ricky Swanell and Ravinda Hunia are on the panel today. Uh, Ricardo Ball after 11 o'clock to talk about the, the EPL and his famed Manchester United, including, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, and Mount Rushmore will look at the top four halfbacks, in our opinion, that's John Day, in my opinion, the top four halfbacks that have ever played this wonderful game of rugby. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, certainly last night a very meritorious win by the Silver Ferns over the English Rose from lockdown to midcourt, who under the hoop it was pretty professional and dominant considering the build-up. No doubt Dame Nolene has something very, very special. Give her five minutes, she'll find you some combos. It's an important success too, step one to retaining the tiny Jamison trophy. It's not the Ferns' greatest foe though. We all know that. Beating the Aussie girls in those yellow bibs, that means the most. It is their biggest rivalry. When you think about it, so many of our other codes, that is the supreme test. The Black Caps, the Kiwis, the Black Sticks, the All Whites, AOL, the Aussies, like standing on our chests. And we love crawling out from underneath and kicking them up their sporting jacksies. Notice though, the All Blacks are not on that list. Because whilst beating the Wallabies is fun, satisfying, a statement of authority, and as common as your daily constitutional, it's not the ultimate victory. It's not the ultimate rivalry. It's beating the Bocker. Those giants from the Republic, green jerseys, gold numbers, white shorts, green socks. 99 times we've butted heads. Started back in August 1921, with a win at Carisbrook so long ago that only one of our test venues at that time still remains, two consigned to the scrap heap and one by nature. 
Incidentally, that original three test series finished all square, a win each and a draw, and it set the tone from the outset. It's a rivalry both rich in history and poor in infamy. For so long, Māori and coloured Africans were denied the right to play, and we're a party to that, make no mistake. Thank God those horrid days are in the past. On the field, it's always been the hardest, the most rugged. 76 years it took for the All Blacks to win a series over there. Tales of 15 playing 16. Gold watches to the referees are synonymous to the history, not to mention Susie and the dodgy burgers on the eve of the biggest occasion of all. And so it plays its 100th chapter this Saturday night. Places on the couch or at the Barlina will be eagerly sought. Those in the 23 jerseys also will be feeling mighty special. Many of those playing wouldn't even know the true history of this, the greatest rivalry. What it will show is that it will be played, believe it or not, considering all the great rugby venues in the world, in Townsville, Australia. Can you believe that? Bloody Aussies can't keep their beaks out of anything. Nine oh seven here on SENZ. Uh, terrific performance last night by the Silver Ferns, uh, winning game one of three against uh, the English Roses in Christchurch by forty eight to forty two. Uh, to look at it with us this morning, I'm uh, thrilled to say we've got uh, Yvonne Willering, of course, fifty seven caps as a player uh, for the Silver Ferns, five years the coach, two thousand and nineteen, a companion of the New Zealand Order of Merit for services to netball. No better analyst in the country, actually. Good morning to you, uh, Yvonne. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, hi, Ian. No, my pleasure. Uh, look, what did, OK, first of all, what did you make of last night's performance on, on the back of the build-up? Yeah, I mean, everyone was saying that England was better prepared. I don't buy that one. I mean, they were in isolation. They only trained against themselves, so they didn't know the New Zealand style of play anyway. So it was really a situation where both teams are slightly focused on the comm game, so it's all preparations and trying to get players out on court as well. Although, having said that, they still want to obviously win the series. But both teams had the opportunity of getting 10 of their 12 players out on court. Um, and whilst the Ferns didn't have the combinations as such because they have only had limited uh, build-up three days together as a total group. So they did perform well as individuals and, uh, yeah, managed to get the victory. Probably the second quarter, 14-10 to them in that quarter, and that set it up really mm-hmm. for the rest of the game. So what did you make of um, those combinations? What did you see that uh, you kind of feel it uh, needs to be worked on? Well, uh, you know, we were worrying about, as soon as I heard the lineups, uh, the shooting combination was, was interesting. You had Maya Wilson in the back, and it, it's well known that during the ANZ, you know, she was lacking in consistency and accuracy in the shooting uh, department. And Matura, our first-time Silver Fern player, my, what a game she had. She ended up actually being player of the game. And talk about two proud parents in the crowd. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. wonderful to see. Um, I actually had a bit of... Uh, 
uh, I noticed her in the New Zealand under-21 team last year and the year before. And I think the stint with the steel has really set her up well because there she became a main player and uh, was very, very dominant. And she had, has taken that dominance onto the court for the Silver Fern. So she might have been you know, a bit nervous about the whole thing, but she really stepped up and deserved being the player of the game. It was either going to be her or Karen Berger who made some valuable intercepts later in the game. So uh, Tiana Matua, of course, uh, her mum is Wai Tamanu, uh, and as you say, in the crowd, very proud uh, last night, Yvonne. Uh, Do you see any similarities between the two style of play? (laughs) Uh, Well, between her and her mum, you appreciate that uh, Wai Tamanu. Yeah, well, she played goal defence, so very much a defensive player, and that's why it's pretty good to see, actually, that that Tiana Matua, she's playing in goal attack position, so whilst her mother certainly can give her some insight, uh, it's not about trying to make the comparison between the two, and I think, you know, she's a player in her own right, and uh, yeah, but she is, in a way, and I've said that in the past, she's a mini Y, actually, and that's really in just the confidence and just that, you know, that she exudes, and uh, not that she demands respect, but she just knows what is required out on court, and and she's mature beyond beyond the years, and I was really, really pleased for her. She nailed her first long shot and just took it from there. So, uh, yeah, now a valuable asset. But it was always going to be just a question of time before she became a silver fern, and uh, she certainly showed that she's worthy of wearing uh, the silver fern gear. Uh, Yvonne, it was about <clears throat> three weeks ago Gina Crampton was uh, first uh, named as captain of the Silver Ferns, the new captain. Um, Amelia Ann Ekanasi are not a- available for this series. So, uh, but it was only about three days ago that she found out she was actually going to be able to play. What did you make yeah. of her leadership first time up? Yeah, it was interesting. Both her and Fitzpatrick, the vice-captain, were in a situation they may not have even been with the team. I always thought uh, Crampton had uh, had an opportunity of becoming captain in the absence of Econacio. Um I've seen her in camp with the Silver Ferns, and it's not just on the court, it's off the court that she's extremely dominant and she really helps all those around her. Um, yeah, last night I think it was just a situation of just focusing on, on herself more than as a team. And I said that before, it really, they're a squad situation. They're traveling, well, not traveling, but they're staying together with 18 players, so it's really difficult to get that core and to get that team unity as such. Um, but certainly, you know, she led by example out on court, um, uh, and you know, I think it was. it's really hard to determine just how good the, the Ferns were as a group, because it was really about individuals. Um, and you could see it at the other end of the court. There was a situation like Berger and Jury were together in circle, then Fitzpatrick and Jury, and then Fitzpatrick and Berger. And that final combination, Fitzpatrick and Berger, that showed through in the end, but that was the experience more than anything else. So it's going to take a little bit of time for this to gel. Having said that, though, I think when you go into the second test, because both teams are carrying squads, I think you will see some changes in personnel. And that's why I said it's really also looking towards the Com games and giving players that experience, not just out on court, but also sitting on the bench, standing up for the national anthem and knowing what's required to represent your country. Uh, Yvonne Willering, what did you make of uh, England? Were you a little, disappointment, a little disappointed with them? But bearing in mind they are still missing uh, three or four players that, who oh, are, I believe absolutely. join them when they get to Australia. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, they're missing in particular Housby and Hart and both shooters and obviously key members of their team because very, very experienced members. It was difficult for England. Um, I wasn't disappointed with them. They had their opportunities, but they had double the amount of penalties than New Zealand had, appreciating that we've got New Zealand-based umpires for this test series um, for obviously uh, known conditions. Um, and they had difficulties at times uh, just... Uh, basically yeah, making the alterations to the umpiring calls that is something they'll have to take into their into that second test you know that just they had something like 60 odd penalties which means they are standing beside their players you know that length of time so that's something they have to address also the attempts new zealand had 58 attempts uh, england only had 49 so it's a situation where they have to get rid of their unforced errors and just really start working it more so as a team they should have worked better as a team than the ferns because uh, you know they have been together a lot longer but now it's a situation they've got to look at how new zealand plays we do play slightly differently particularly defensively we play more of what we call a space marking whereas england plays a one one-on-one defence. That one-on-one defence cost them last night because that close contesting uh, the umpires were very aware of that. So that's something they certainly have to address going into the into the next uh, next test. And they can't uh, at the moment. Um, do much to counter our holding shooters. Having said that, it's going to be really interesting because in the second test, we may find that we don't have the holding shooter of Maya Wilson. And in fact, you know, you may get Grace Nowicki and it's her height that then they have to counter. So, yeah, a few challenges open to the English side. So what kind of... Uh, you, you think she'll tinker much, uh, Dame Nolings? Will she, will she tinker not, uh, much with the second test lineup? Or wait uh, perhaps until the the tiny Jamison is, uh, yeah. is in the cupboard and then go on on the third one. Yeah, I yeah I know it's it's a tricky one. I think that um, like she it was a pretty experienced lineup. She didn't play all her players last night, uh, and I think yeah she her. First of all, she will want to retain the Tiny Jamison trophy, really important trophy, um, and I think once that's in the bag. Yeah, she may. And when we say experiment, don't forget they have been together. It's not like it's an unknown combination that will go out there. But, yeah, I don't think you're going to see major, major changes from test one to test two with regards to her. England, similarly, I know that they're, while they're travelling with 15, they will make a few changes. But, again, they are in a situation. They indicated that last night. Jeeva, when she spoke, said, you know, we're not here just to make up numbers and just to have a, a bit of an outing. They really are looking for forward to trying to win this series but you know the closest they've ever gotten to New Zealand uh, in the last few years is really at the world champs in the semi-final and they lost by two but since then actually the silver ferns have been dominant so England wants to really uh, establish that yeah, that dominance again I suppose well dominance you know but certainly get close to the silver ferns um, appreciating that they are missing some players and uh, you know they they will actually join them again in the Australian sector of their tour. It's a, an interesting word you, you say dominant there because um, the belief is that this team wants to become dominant, not just winners, they want to be dominant. Uh, do you think they've got the makings? I mean, it's only early days. Do you think they've got the makings of that capability? You're talking about England? Yeah, no, no, I'm talking about us. Yep. That, that's the goal, yeah. Oh, we, oh yeah, no, no. The, the Ferns, yeah, the, the, yeah they... The, 
yeah, they'll be, they'll dominate. I think that certainly they they got some good game plans, and and doesn't really matter which players go out on court. And you could see that last night. You know, they still uh, kept the momentum. I know they lost the third quarter, twelve eleven, but that was just it took time, particularly for the defensive end, just to settle down. Um, but you know, it's still most of those players, apart from Matura, they've taken the court many times uh, for the Silver Ferns. So um, in that respect, um, you know. It, it was quite an experienced lineup, um, and, and so no, no, they they will want to remain dominant throughout. England has always has been playing catch up nipple, and we've seen that over the over the years. Um, but you've got to appreciate with with uh, com games being over in England, they will want to do well, and uh, obviously they were winners of the last Commonwealth Games, so that's very much in the back of their minds. And what they're doing at the moment is really just sort of bringing more players through, having players now play in the Australian League. Fisher obviously playing for Steel this year. That will that will really give those players experience. But now it's a situation whereby they have to bring them into combination together and they haven't really had a lot of opportunities to do that. Uh, Yvonne, we're, we're just talk, talking a little bit at the moment about um, and during the day anyway about uh, the great rivalries in sport of course New Zealand uh, playing South Africa uh, at rugby on Saturday yeah. night, and that is uh, the 100th Test match, and uh, we believe that's probably the ultimate. Um, it's great to see, uh, and it's very important that England and the other netball nations become powerful because it, it creates a better environment, I think, for world netball. But the ultimate, the ultimate rivalry, I would imagine for you as a player and as a coach, will always be Australia, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and and I agree with you. Now we want to bring more countries. Uh, into that into that equation. I mean, when we talk about the World Championships in Nepal, ultimately, you know, we have people travelling over to wherever it's being held, and they come over for the semi-finals and finals. Uh, we're that confident that we're go- that New Zealand's going to be there, and that it has always been the case. And you're right. I mean, 99% of the times it's going to be an Australia-New Zealand final. And whilst you always will have that rivalry, and it's wonderful to have, you really want other countries to be right up there as well. And, you know, we've got uh, inklings of that, like you said, with South Africa and England also at times. And Jamaica on a good day, obviously, when their players aren't uh, mm. playing basketball and they all return. And, uh, you know, when they get together and don't forget some of their players are also playing in the Australian League now as well. So, you know, they're certainly uh, getting better and better. And that's what we want. We, we don't want to have predictable winners or predictable finalists. And uh, that's obviously what, what we're aiming towards. But, yeah, it's always... That, that rival between New Zealand and mm-hmm. Australia. And it's a shame that we're not going to have that this year. So we probably won't be uh, hitting Australia now, well, if we're, well, hopefully before the Commonwealth Games, but not sure that that's going to happen. Oh, well, it's uh, unfortunately it's a way of the world we live in at the moment. But uh, one thing we can Absolutely. guarantee is we'll get great analysis from Yvonne Willering. We've just got it uh, this morning. Uh, thanks very much for your time. Uh, and enjoy the rest of the series, eh? and and stay well. Yep, absolutely, you too. Thank you. It's uh, Yvonne Wellering, folks, and uh, she was, you can just hear uh, the authority within her voice about uh, her passion, netball, uh, as a player and as a coach. You can, um, you know, they've got some some amazing people involved, and you can just see why they've been so good over the years. Uh, That commitment is amazing. 9.21 here on SENZ. Tech subjects today, well, uh, John and I are going to talk about the greatest halfbacks we've ever seen in our time, or maybe my time's a little bit longer than John's, but certainly 
uh, whilst we've been around the rugby scene. Uh, so 88 or double eight double three is the number there. 0800 150 811 is the phone number. Um, would you would you play sport with someone who isn't tested or vaccinated? Would it worry you that much? Do you have the right to make them? There's all those sorts of elements uh, to talk about. I know Izzy touched on it uh, and uh, Louie in the, the breakfast show as such, but uh, it's a sensitive thing. Do you have the right to force someone to have to have a vaccination in order for them to play? Or is that an individual decision, an individual right? We'll see. We'll see what your thoughts are. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.27 and uh, texts are flowing in on the various subjects here. Smithy, how good is Yvonne with the netball chat? Superb, love the show, mate. Uh, that's Reese. thanks for getting hold of us. Reese. she's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. At the drop of a hat, she gives you the best possible analysis. Forthright, um, no holds barred, I love it. Uh, where's Grace in the netball? Well, Grace, uh, Grace and Wiki will probably be on show on Friday. That's uh, what Yvonne is thinking. Uh, perhaps, maybe, tomorrow night. Uh, in game two, uh, but the priority will first of all be to win uh, the tiny Jamison and then perhaps uh, think around a wee bit. Um, you've got to have those uh, cabinet, those trophies in the cabinet, particularly when you don't play for them that often is the way of the world at the moment. Uh, in terms of uh, the top four, we've had uh, a couple come in already. Uh, Aaron Smith, Augustin Pichot, Jus uh, van der Vestazen and George Gregan. I think they're uh, pretty good choices. Uh, another one has come in with yours to George Gregan, Aaron Smith and Gareth Edwards uh, in no particular order. That's uh, from Taylor. So uh, fire it up, everybody. Get in there with those ones. Uh, in terms of the vaccination, interesting. Hi, Smithy, you, def- you definitely should not have the right to force a vaccination. That is a breach of human rights. But you do have the right to offer the person a choice to be vaccinated, and if they choose not to, that's their choice, and that carries the consequences. That's uh, Albie from Napier. Interesting thoughts there. Smithy, I think uh, I have heard you say that vaccination should be an individual choice and not forced. I agree 100%. I can't understand why vaccinated people are so bothered about people who choose not to. Surely if they believe they are protected, then bugger off and leave me alone. <laughs> Cheers, JB. Uh, when AIDS became a thing, players had to leave the paddock and be cleaned up before resuming play. This may be a step in that if you can't start the game unless you're vaccinated, but the reason is the same, to protect all people associated with the game. Thanks very much, Pete. So uh, everyone's uh, got a really, really a strong opinion about this, and it's on the back, of course, of Ty Webster parting ways with the breakers on the basis that he did not want to have uh, a vaccination. Touchy, John. It's a touchy one. It is, mate. Yeah, really interesting. Um, and I guess it's an um, NBL kind of thing. They want all their teams and players vaccinated because they're going to be crossing borders. And I think they want up to 80% in Australia. I think this is a government thing. They want 80% full vaccination before they let uh, people travel across borders. And when the breakers play in Australia, they will be travelling across borders. And if they don't have players who are fully vaccinated, they won't be able to play. So that's kind of where that came to a head. I see Matt Walsh was quoted in saying he's got nothing against people who choose uh, to not get vaccinated. That's their choice. 
but it's a league rule that you have to be fully vaccinated to travel across those states to be able to play. So, yeah, personal choice versus what's best uh, for the competition and what's under state regulations. And this is the tip of the iceberg, I think, Smithy, when it comes to sport. There's going to be a lot of travelling around the world, a lot of different rules when it comes to countries about people getting vaccinated. So athletes, should they have to get vaccinated to play sport? It's an interesting topic. Do we assume that all the All Blacks on tour are fully vaccinated at the moment? Do we assume that? I don't know. Do we have to? I don't know either. I've got absolutely no idea. It'd be nice to know. Um, but would it matter? 9.30 here on SENZ. News time with Trudy. The all-new SENZ is Kiwi for sport. Question. Making SENZ News this hour, the government's decision to take Auckland out of Level 4 tonight was one of its riskiest calls yet. Auckland will move to Level 3 tonight, ending its five-week spell under the heaviest restrictions. But if the super city doesn't manage to stamp out the virus in the next few weeks, the rest of the country could face restrictions till Christmas. Pfizer says their COVID vaccine induced a robust immune response in 5 to 11-year-olds, and they now plan to ask for authorisation as soon as possible to use the shot in primary-age kids in the US, Europe and elsewhere. The US says it would revoke its travel ban on visitors from 33 countries and reopen its borders to fully vaxxed travellers as global vaccination rates ramp up. And lava flowing from the Canary Islands' first volcanic eruption in 50 years has forced the evacuation of 5,500 people and destroyed at least 100 homes. SCNZ Radio.NZ Sports coming up. here on SENZ. Just a text before we get to golf. Yes, the All Blacks are vaccinated. They made sure we saw them all getting it done on their social media platforms. And I know for a fact that some of them weren't happy about having it. So uh, there you go. Um, That is uh, from an unnamed texter, but uh, that's the story apparently uh, about the All Blacks. Uh, Phil Totorangi has uh, joined us this morning, as he always does at this time on a Tuesday. Teared up with Phil Saturday mornings at 7 o'clock. Focus very much this week on the Ryder Cup. Before we start on that, uh, Phil, good morning to you. I just wonder, uh, is uh, being vaccinated a prerequisite in golf in any areas, on the PGA, for instance? Yeah, morning, Smithy. Uh, No, it is not. Um, Independent contractors are PGA Tour professionals, so the PGA Tour run the league. The players basically um, sign away their rights uh, to their name and likeness, but there's independent contractors. They get to make their own choices and it's interesting one I've been just listening in a little bit to the conversation this morning but um, you know when your text was there a couple of moments ago brought up a good point basically if you're vaccinated um, isn't that supposed to do the trick well that's at least what we've been told but um, the, the the interesting thing with the PGA Tour is they ditched all testing on tour midway through the summer and although you'll never read this anywhere in any um, press release from the PGA Tour, have it on pretty good authority that what that was all about, Smithy, was there's just too many false positives coming back with the PCR test. And this is um, really comes back to the situation with John Rahm when he had a six-shot lead through 54 holes at the Memorial, um, yet was perfectly healthy. You'd think he was. He's whipping up on everybody fairly handsomely, yet he tested positive on a PCR test, never had any symptoms for the next two weeks, sat out, came out a couple of days later and whipped everyone up on the US Open. And so within the locker room, shall we say, 
there was a lot of questions being asked whether a PCR test is actually determining the fates of PGA Tour players, not the virus. Mm, that is quite deep and, and meaningful when you, you, you look at the amount of uh, dollars involved as well. Uh, Phil, it, it's, um, <clears throat> it's quite a staggering... It's quite a staggering uh, figure, of course, the money involved, but uh, the importance and, and that is, uh, it's quite interesting. Anyway, um, mm. I, I might research that even further because it's uh, such a high-profile uh, sport and, uh, as you say, there's plenty at stake. Uh, the USA, a buck fifty-three. Europe, $2.88. The Thai, 13 bucks. The Thai, 13 bucks. Uh, what mm. do you make of that favouritism at the TAB? Yeah, most probably, uh, if you have a look at, um, you know, the fancy uniforms and the the age of the young American team and all of what they do on the PGA Tour, you'd have to go, yeah, okay, they most probably look pretty good on paper. Um, it, certainly a tie is uh, is always in play with the Ryder Cup. It always tends to come down to the Sunday singles. In actual fact, if you have a look, after the, look at the uh, results over the last six Ryder Cups, Smithy, they're uh, 36 points apiece between the, the European team and the US team. So they're, they're fairly tied up when it comes to singles play. The US tend to have a little bit of a lead in uh, on singles play. The, you know, they can point to maybe the, the players week in, week out on the PGA Tour. Um, you know, they're individuals, they play for themselves, and maybe the, 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 the US are maybe a little more tilted that way. The European team has a huge advantage um, certainly with the teams that have been selected this past week when you match them all up in team play. And, of course, there's four sessions of team play, only one session of individual play. So, look, I, I'd expect, um, looking at the makeup of these teams, and we talked a little bit about it last week, with all the experience that's on the European team with Padre Carrington going for Garcia, Poulter and Shane Lowry, and, and you, you throw in Lee Westwood into the mix, uh, Rory McIlroy now is a stalwart of the Ryder Cup, playing in his sixth Ryder Cup this uh, coming week. You've got to expect that the, the team play of the, the European side will be stronger through the first few days. Will that have them leading on on the uh, on the card going into the Sunday singles is yet to be uh, discovered. But I, I think the golf course will be a little bit of a leveller for both the European and the American team. Usually the home team have... Uh, have advantage over the setup of the golf course, and you would expect that Steve Stricker's got a few tricks up his sleeve as far as that's concerned. But I think with it being whistling straights, if you close your eyes and, and there's one pun that says squint a little bit, you could be mistaken that you might be an island. So I think a, a number of different factors will come into play. At this stage, although the US would be the, uh, the, the um, I guess, the betting favourite in, in those odds that you suggested, uh, kind of back that up. I think the European team might just, um, you know, they they might surprise a few people. Um, I know that you'll you'll be featuring that on your show on Saturday morning. It'll be about uh, the halfway point compulsive viewing uh, for anyone who likes sport, as, uh, just not golf. It's just one of the great events. Uh, look, um, Max Homer wins the Fortnite. Uh, Maverick McNeely. Mm-hmm. Blows the seventeenth uh, hole in Eagles, the last a classic case of, of um, well, I won't say choking. It's a hell of a weird to say in sport, but uh, here's a go- one guy who knows how to win, one guy who uh, still doesn't. Yeah, good point. And and look, in, in any you know major sporting league, kind of getting 
over the hump for the first time is a huge mental battle. And McNeely's certainly got uh, pedigree, and, and, and he will win. Um, too talented not to, and uh, we'll get plenty of opportunities. And he's had a couple of years out there kind of getting a little wet bet- you know, behind the ears and stubbing his toe a couple of times. Homer, however, um, and I'm not sure, Smithy, if you've uh, you've followed Max Homer on social media a little bit, but uh, he's one of those guys that's, um, that that has a fair bit of fun with it, interacts with the fans, gives uh, gives his fellow players a fair bit of sticks, fairly self-deprecating at the same time. Um, but he's got a bit of game to back it up. He's won three times now in the last two and a half years, and uh, is most probably getting to that stage where he might be considered for one of these team competitions over the next couple of seasons. Ryan Fox, uh, a good finish. Um, it was, uh, I think, 15th or 13th or 15th equal. Um, not the most lucrative of tournaments in terms of prize money, but uh, how does that affect uh, his status going forward? Yeah, you're right, Smithy. Good, good finish. And, and after a bit of a slow start, uh, what was he, 15 under the last uh, the last three rounds? And so that's, yeah. um, that's, that's, that's some, some decent playing. Um, uh, unfortunately, only picks up three spots on the European tour money list or points list for the race to Dubai. Uh, he, he's just got to kind of keep his nose clean, keep on making some cuts, and, and he will be around for the for next season. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm expecting a, a couple of decent performances that arrive between here and the end of the year. I think there's been a lot of uncertainty around his schedule. Um, you know, he'd like to come home, he'd like to get in that situation. He had to forego that now that he's got to kind of knuckle down and be stuck in Europe for the uh, for the next couple of months and get the season completed. I think there's some certainty with that. And given that he's got his family over there with him, um, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he doesn't throw up a couple of good performances between here and the finish line. Here's, here's a left fielder for you, Phil Tottering. I know you're a sports all-rounder. You follow it all. Um, give us your two greatest halfbacks of all time. Rugby halfbacks <laughs> of all time. Yes. I've, I've got to pick Dave... I've got to pick Dave Loveridge just purely because of moustache. I mean, the the, the, the moustache was fairly, uh, fairly, uh, fairly classic there. I, I, and, and he was kind of around my era when uh, I, I remember him. Um, it, and it, it's easy easy to say this one, but it's tough to go past the the current number one. Um, not only because of of his of style of play, but I, I do take my hat off to him where. He's ill. He's, he's, he's misstepped a couple of times earlier in his career, um, but it looks like he's grown not only as a player but uh, but as a leader within the team as well. And um, and looking even making this decision just recently that um, you know maybe staying at home and being around family at this stage you don't get that back, and that's more important than wearing the black jersey a couple of times. Saturday morning, uh, teared up with Phil Totharangi uh, at seven a.m. Uh, will be Ryder Cup featuring uh, anything else you've got this, lined up this early, or are you going to wait, yeah. keep your power to draw yeah. and wait, mate? Yeah, it's going to be pretty heavy on the Ryder Cup this week. Got a couple of correspondents on uh, both sides of the Atlantic coming on on our show, Smithy, this coming week. I'm going to leave you with a question, Smithy. Whistling straights. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of mm-hmm. bunkers out there. Um, I'm not sure how many are at uh, Bridge Par, but I'm suspecting it's less than 50. That's 950 less bunkers than that are at Whistling God. Straits. Just right around 1,000 bunkers at Whistling Straits. My Godfather. That is amazing. <laughs> that is an amazing stat. Uh, I'll count them this afternoon and get back to you, Phil. <laughs> <Bridge> <laughs> okay. There you go. Very good, <laughs> Cheers, man. <laughs>
Always good to catch up with our Phil Tauteringi, of course, uh, fantastic with uh, with golf, but uh, real all-rounder too. He loves every aspect of all, all sports, so uh, listen to him. 7 o'clock Saturday morning, 9.43 here on SENZ. Uh, time for uh, some more of your text, etc. Uh, and uh, then we'll have a little look at uh, a multi before 10 o'clock and then the legendary Sir BG, Sir Brian Williams, after 10. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.48 uh, and the texts keep on rolling in. Uh, in terms of the halfbacks in particular, Aaron Smith, Nick Farr-Jones, Gareth Edwards, Sid going. Sid was huge in South Africa. Even took the shots at goal because the great BG was missing too many bandages on those famous knees. Uh, all the All Blacks and Tua Party are all double shot, uh, double shot vaccinated. Not allowed to travel offshore without that, as reported by NZR. Uh, Connor Murray would have to be there, surely, says uh, Stratty. Uh, and another bloke uh, who was uh, very, very much in favour of bigger halfbacks uh, said uh, Terry Holmes. Uh, he'd, he'd like Marshall, Van der Vesthuizen were good, but Terry Holmes from Wales, six foot one, all six foot one, nearly ninety kilos, uh, was uh, obviously uh, a big factor there. And in terms of also the um, the inoculation, Smithy, it's not about the sport or the individual, it's about the health of everyone else. If a person is not vaccinated and they end up in ICU, uh, then if a person has an accident and can't get help, as this person has not had the vaccine, it's taking the bed up in the ICU. It puts far too much pressure on the health system if you choose not to be vaccinated. Therefore, they need to make it compulsory in sports, etc., to get the standard up for the greater good. Uh, thanks very much for that, Ben. Um, lots of uh, lots of opinions on that. Trapper Loveridge says, uh, Dean, hands down. Trapper Loveridge, while you're in Phil Tauterangi's camp there, uh, you can still get COVID if you are vaccinated. And if I am unvaccinated, I am more likely to pass it on to you and therefore your loved ones. So it's my choice not to be vaccinated, but I shouldn't be allowed to play sport near you, especially contact sport. Keeps going, doesn't it? Keeps going. Uh, Dawi de Villiers, uh, my, my mate Hone, Hone from Tokomaru Bay. Hone, good morning to you, Morena. Uh, Dawi de Villiers, Chris Laidlaw, Sid Going, Gareth Edwards. I'm going to take a punt here, Hone, and say you're on the north side of 60 years of age. I haven't met you in person. I'd love to one day, but I'm kind of thinking you're in my age bracket, just really on the, those four choices. Uh, John, uh, they're flooding in. Any uh, any inside info as to your ones, no? No, not yet, Smithy. You're going to have to wait till after 11 o'clock to find out our Mount Rushmore of halfbacks. I thought this would be quite straightforward, Smithy, when you came up with the subject last night. I was like, surely we'll have the same four and most people will have the same four, but no. It's because I'm uh, probably, like you mentioned earlier, a bit more new school, more a bit more professional era, but there were some great halfbacks that I'm learning about. Who was that one from Wales? Terry? Terry Holmes. Yeah, never Terry heard of Holmes. him in my life. Yeah. So I'm getting a, uh, big man. getting an education this morning. I'm enjoying that, yeah. Smithy. As I said, as I said, six foot one and just on ninety kilos. So he he was a big man by half black standards. When you look at um, our Aaron Smith, who would be what five seven, uh, five six five seven and uh, seventy five, ringing wet probably. Um, multi time very shortly here on SENZ, and then as I said before, Brian Williams. <laughs> From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
You got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Yeah, well, I've been copping a bit of flack lately about the lack of success in my multis, but if you stick with them every now and then, if you can get a 10 buck one at the weekend, it makes up for the uh, the smaller ones throughout the week. So I'm, I'm, I'm confident. I mean, my ratio is not fantastic, uh, but I, I, I do put a bit of work in, and yesterday's work was totally unrewarded. Uh, the Chiefs uh, lost to the Baltimore Ravens in the last minute, basically. That was just an absolute fumble. Uh, so that was no good. Colorado couldn't even beat the Vancouver Whitecaps. That was one all. Barcelona this morning couldn't even beat Granada. What chance? What chance did that multi have? Absolutely none. Right, today, so we'll go to the Phillies. The Phillies to beat the Orioles, the Baltimore Orioles, at a buck 45. Preston North End overnight to beat Cheltenham. This is English League Cup football. Preston North End to beat Cheltenham at a dollar 50. Burnley to beat Rochdale at a buck 28. And uh, Cricket. Uh, the Australian women to beat the Indian women in a one-day international. Australia pretty warm favourites at a buck twenty-four. Multi that up at three dollars forty-five. I think it's a reasonable return. I think it's uh, got a, a pretty good chance of, of coming home. Uh, another couple of texts have come in. Uh, Des Connor, Sid going. I mean, Sid going. Uh, absolute fantastic player. Um, those wonderful going brothers that uh, played for. Uh, North Auckland back in the day, uh, those combinations, those backline moves that they had. But Sid going really tough around the fringes. Uh, no one got past him. He used to tackle people around the ankles and just play the, the game at that level. Is just He was a brilliant player. Uh, Super Sid. It's weird that David Kirk never gets picked. John, that's an interesting one. David Kirk never seems to, uh, to get picked. Um, Anthony says... Um, definitely Gareth Edwards, vaccinate or don't play. That's Anthony's uh, point of view. Connor Murray, I, I mentioned before, has to be in there again, surely. So uh, they, there's a lot of guys going for the bigger halfbacks. Yeah, yeah, very combative. Like, I guess what we've got at the moment is that quick pass, isn't it? But back in the day, Smithy, I mean, all hell was breaking loose around rucks back in the day. So you had to be a bit bigger and a bit combative to survive, really. I mean, people coming in from the side, there was no real gate, was there? You had to be a dominant halfback or a game-playing halfback, I guess. Um, Graham Bashup was another one that maybe comes to mind that wasn't that big, but his clearance was just beautiful, wasn't it? He was kind of the Aaron Smith before Aaron Smith. His pass was just lightning. Uh, absolutely loved Graham Bishop rolling up, uh, growing up. So there's plenty of options for Mount Rushmore later on. Yep, Mark Bullitt, Donaldson, Sid Going, Funded Vestas, and Aaron Smith. Uh, it's just so many of them. So many of them to, to actually to pick from. Uh, I might have opened a can of worms here, and I might have made some wrong choices. Uh, we'll talk about that after 11 o'clock. But uh, after 10 o'clock, Brian Williams and his rivalry against the Springboks. News time with Ian Smith. Three minutes past 10 here on SENZ, and the All Blacks and the Springboks rivalry reaches a significant milestone this weekend when the two proud rugby nations collide for the 100th time. And one man who knows plenty about that rivalry is All Black number 689, World Rugby Hall of Famer, voted into the All Blacks' greatest 15 on the right wing, greatest of all time, 
Uh, it's very, very great honour for me to welcome onto the show Sir Brian Williams. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Smitty. How are you? Oh, look, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty damn good, actually. Uh, you've been through a few things in your lifetime. Uh, how, does, how does COVID and Level 4 with, sit with you? Well, it's, it's been a, a, a trial uh, for, for all of us, hasn't it, really? And uh, particularly us Aucklanders over the last month or so. Um, but we, we've managed, managed to get through it. And I, I guess um, you, you take one, one day after the other and um, uh, do the things that, that, um, that, that give you pleasure as, as much as you can. And, um, and, and it's all about attitude, isn't it? Well, one of those uh, things, that, of course, uh, uh, for a lot of us, you in particular, I'm sure, is, is watching rugby when it's on, and uh, that is, is, uh, is, is always great. Uh, and, of course, um, this, this weekend, it's the 100th time, uh, Brian, that the All Blacks play the Springboks. Where does the, the All Black rivalry against the Springboks rate for you? Well, I, I think it's the greatest um, rugby rivalry uh, the world has seen, um, as, as you know, uh, gosh, what a what a milestone! A hundredth Test match uh, in in the hundredth year of of competition between the two great rugby nations, and um, you know, going going right back through the ages, the the um, the series uh, between the Springboks and, and All Blacks have been very special. Um, you know, right back to nineteen twenty one, and uh, right right up to the present day, and I look back, um, you know, so fondly on, on particularly, I, I was born in 1950, so the 56, uh, 60, um, the 65, the 70, and, and 76, uh, all, all those um, series were, were magnificent. I, I managed to take um, part in a, in a couple of those, and, and I, I, I was very much... Uh, uh, um, a fan, you know, during the 1960 tour and the 1965 tour, uh, 62 South Africa and 65 in New Zealand. So that those, those series really, really inspired me. I I, I wanted to try and emulate uh, all those guys who'd, who'd gone before, and um, you know, fortunately, uh, it, it happened for me. Brian. Uh, let's look, take it back. You're, you're 19 years of age. Uh, the world's a very big place when you're 19 years of age, uh, particularly back in 1970. Um, you're the first South Sea Islander to ever, ever play for the All Blacks. You go on this tour of South Africa uh, because you're given, apparently, honorary white status. Tell us about that process and that experience going back to seventy. Well, I better, I better just um, set the record straight, uh, Smithy. Um, I, I wasn't the, the first um, Pacific oh. Islander to play for the All Blacks. We we had uh, several, uh, believe it or not, uh, back in the 1930s. Um, the Solomon brothers, um, Dave and, oh. and Frank, um, ironically enough, from the same club uh, that I come from, Ponsonby, um, played for the All Blacks. And um, there was a, a Tongan... A uh, chap by the name of Walter Batty, uh, who played back in those times too. But certainly, I guess um, from there weren't many of us um, uh, around playing uh, top level rugby in, in the 1970s. So I, I, um, I, I probably um, broke broke through that uh, ceiling once again. 
Yeah, um, going to South Africa was was daunting uh, for me, Nine, 19 years old, and um, to be selected uh, in the team alongside all all the guys who were my heroes. You know, the 1960s had been a, a great era for for all black rugby, and you know Colin Meads and Wilson Winneray and Brian Lahore, Cal Tremaine, John Graham, um, Ian McRae, you name it, uh, they, they were brilliant um, uh, representatives of, of our great game. Um, so, so to be selected alongside uh, many of those guys in 1970 was 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 hugely uh, daunting uh, for me. And then, of course, um, uh, to be going to uh, uh, apartheid South Africa as as uh, one of the the, the first coloured uh, rugby players to be allowed to tour, and that, as you say, um, as, as an honorary white, which which to me was just an absolute nonsense. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't an honorary white. I, I knew what I was, and I'm sure the Maori boys knew uh, who they were. Um, but that that seemed to satisfy uh, the, the, the warped uh, South African view of, of uh, politics in, in those days. Um, yeah, so so when when the plane touched down in South Africa, I got to say I was I was absolutely terrified. I didn't know what I was uh, um, letting myself in for, and and um, but I, I took one step after the other, and eventually um, my turn came round uh, to to don the black jersey for the first time, and I, I was really lucky, Smithy. I, I um, the very uh, first opportunity I was given in the game um, I had a clear run in for a try so I'd, I'd managed to catch the ball and, and and dot the ball down and I guess that just gave me confidence so I, so I was away You played 24 games on that tour, my god they got the value for money out of you <laughs> Well I didn't play all 24 I don't think uh, that, that was um, uh, the, the number of games the team played, but I, I think I played about 14 of them, and, and uh, or 13, I think, and managed to dot down 14 times. So, um, yeah, that, that, that was a good, good opening, I guess, to my All Black career, and uh, yeah. one in which I, um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd absolutely dreamt about, uh, like all young, young Kiwi boys, I guess. Uh, Wanting, wanting to be a, an All Black or uh, rep- represent New Zealand, and um, yeah, so, so um, able to finish that, that tour on a, on a real high, really. Except, of course, uh, we didn't win the Test series, which which, uh, which was quite a disappointment. Yeah, thirteen uh, appearances for you, twenty-four games uh, for the team as a whole, fourteen tries, so an excellent uh, strike rate back then. Um, there was always talk uh, when you listened on the radio and you had your Bob Irvines, etc., commentating back in those days about um, the refereeing and uh, how it's, uh, sometimes it appeared as if uh, you just had no chance. Uh, did you find that? Did you find that the case? Oh, it, it was a real, real um, trial, um, the refereeing, and, and um, but I, I, you know, people have tried to um, rationalise it and. and Later times about um, you know the nationalism, the the broader bond, um, um, the, the South African um, uh, race uh, couldn't be seen to be uh, coming coming second, but, but particularly to um, 
you know, um, uh, some coloured players. Uh, so, so I, I think the odds were always uh, going going to be stacked against us. And um, but having said that, I, I, I guess uh, the South Africans would say the same about our referees uh, when, when they've come to New Zealand. So it all all sort of balances out. You, you're never really going to get the um, the rub of the green in, in those uh, situations. Uh, you generally have to play um, play through those things, and, and if you still come out on top, then you're definitely the better team. Back in those days, who were the Springbok players that that uh, that you that you most admired? Perhaps those ones that left a mark on your career. Um, well, I, I played against um, some some pretty good wingers uh, back in those days. Um, Gert Muller and um, Sid Nomis, uh, Sid, Sid and I actually um, kept up a, a friendship uh, after the tour and um, I've, I've been back to South Africa subsequently and, and caught up with him. But no, they had some great players, uh, Frick Dupria, uh, the lock, who was um, one of uh, Colin Pintree Meads' uh, main main rivals, I, I suppose. And, and um, they had some great loose forwards, Jan Ellis and Pete Kraling. Um, and and um, you know they, they had some uh, pretty pretty uh, effective backs too. They had a big centre called Yoki Anson, um, who, who uh, completed a, a tackle on on Wayne Cottrell in, in the first test uh, at Pretoria that just about broke him in half. Um, so they, they they were a pretty um, effective sort of team. I, I, I was just recalling the other day. Um, just, just how fired up and almost demented uh, the Springboks were in that first test at Pretoria in, in, in 1970. They, 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 uh, they came out uh, breathing fire, and uh, I've, I've never quite experienced the same um, sort of uh, um, fire or demented state from, from any other opposition. It, it was <laughs> pretty, pretty scary on the day, I must say. Uh, I look at their style of rugby now. Uh, I saw footage of the, those tours back in those days, which was amazing stuff. And I urge anyone that hasn't seen them uh, to get some of that footage and look at what you guys were up against and uh, and how you got through it. But I, I look at their style of rugby, and I, I just wonder if it's changed a hell of a lot. Looking at the way they're playing now, <laughs> no, 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 it, it hasn't. It, it, it's always been. Uh... A, a war of attrition, um, uh, the Springbok style of play, and they've always relied on those those massive uh, uh, forward packs and, and keeping keeping the ball uh, pretty close uh, to the forwards, and, and largely uh, relying on mistakes that the opposition uh, might make. And, and when, when I look back on on um, on, on our tour, um, both tours, in fact, nineteen. Um, 70 and 76. Um, whenever they score tries, they're often from from our errors, which, uh, um, as I say, a, a war of attrition. Right. Let's look at uh, if we could, uh, Brian, about the the current All Black uh, setup, uh, the the way they look to be uh, preparing and going on for this long tour that they're about to. Uh, continue upon. How, how do you like the look of it now under Ian Foster? Uh, are you pleased with the progress? Well, I am pleased with with the progress. Um, you know, Fozzie's uh, 
come in for for a bit of heat about um, you know whether he was doing uh, uh, the job, but but um, I, I I think um, he's doing a, a really good job, and and um, I must say I'm I'm impressed with with his assistant coaches who've who've come in uh, to help him out. You know John Plumtree and uh, Brad Moore, um, both out, outstanding. Um, uh, coaches and, and Scott McLeod, of course, and, and um, Greg Feek, uh, and unheralded uh, coaches to some degree. Um, the names I just gave you, but but uh, I, I can see they're they're all contributing a, a great deal uh, to the All Blacks. And you know, so far the results have been um, pretty damn good this year. I, I think uh, the style of play and and it's great to see the forwards actually. Uh, really playing with a huge amount of um, drive, drive and purpose. The set pieces are, are going really well, and um, like in any game of rugby, Smithy, if, if you get the the um, set pieces uh, right, often the rest of it will flow. And with with the intent that the All Blacks have uh, to use, you know, good ball um, with with adventure and and a bit of flair, it, it makes for an exciting product. Do you marvel at the the talent, the, the wealth of talent we've got in the back three at the moment? When you consider all the options that Ian Foster, Grant Fox, at their disposal. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do marvel at it because um, they're, they're all excitement uh, machines, and and um, you know you, you you look back and and you wonder how you're going to replace uh, different players who've who've come and gone. Uh, but we, we just seem to have this conveyor belt of uh, really um, top-notch uh, talent uh, coming through, and um, you know some of the players they've brought in in uh, recent years. You know the Sebu Reeses and the, uh, George Bridges, and, and of course Rico Ioani's been there for a while now, but still only a young man of, of 24 years old. It, it's um, Will Jordan. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Excitement uh, machine, and 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 that's not to mention the, the fullbacks, you know, Jordy uh, Barrett and, and Damien McKenzie, um, but all great, great talent. So it's it's fantastic, it really is. You're also, uh, of course, uh, the patron for Moana Pacifica. Um, now you must be, this must be making you very proud, very very proud indeed that it's it's coming to fruition. Announcement that's uh, being made all the time about coaching staff, etc. Um, just, just how, um, just how proud will you you be to see that team run out uh, when it gets underway next year? Yeah, I'll, I'll be um, very proud uh, to see that happen, uh, Smithy. It, it's been a long time uh, coming, and I've, I've um, you know, sort of advocated and articulated about uh, the disappointment of the last. Um, 25 or 26 years. It, it should have happened a long time ago, in, in my view. Um, but when it, when it uh, does uh, happen um, in 2022, it's it's going to be uh, very exciting. And I, I applaud the New Zealand Rugby uh, Union for, for finally um, coming coming around on this. Um, it it, it uh, would have been easy uh, not to. Um, they they have seen um, I, th- I think they have seen the influence now that uh, Pacifica is having uh, not only on New Zealand rugby but um, 
on rugby uh, throughout the world, and you only have to look at the <laughs> you look at the Wallabies uh, right out there, and, and uh, you, you you can see the the influence of Pacifica there. But you know, dotted right right through the the teams throughout the world, uh, Japan and and the four home nations, and even France. You, you've got these uh, Polynesian uh, boys and and uh, uh, dotted right right through the teams. So. Um, it, this had to happen, and it, it's, people say, "Well, are you going to be competitive?" <laughs> not, maybe not initially. <clears throat> we won't be ultra competitive, but all those kids are just waiting uh, for their opportunity. Um, and, and given given a, a, a scenario where they can play Super Rugby uh, week in week out against the very best players. Uh, that's going to develop these players real quick, and I, I suggest to you that in, in five years' time, um, that it's, it's going to be a powerhouse. Uh, look, I look forward. To, I really look forward to that, uh, Sir Brian. Just finally, we're doing this thing on the show today about great halfbacks uh, in the history of the game. Uh, could you just, just off the top of your head, give us perhaps uh, your greatest halfback you played with and against? Well, I always loved playing with uh, Sid Going, and, and um, he uh, he was such a great um, innovator. He, you know, he could he could uh, particularly run and and create uh, holes in, in the opposition, and um, so he he was always uh, a great player. We we had a more classic halfback back in those days, um, uh, Chris Laidlaw, um, Dave Leverage. Uh, for me, also was absolutely an out, outstanding all-round uh, halfback. Um, mm. But um, there, there've been uh, so many. I, I, I think we'd have to uh, look at the current day halfback um, Aaron Smith, who I think is, uh, you know, he he fits the bill in, in pretty much every uh, category. He can run. His passing is absolutely outstanding, and, and he can kick. And and um, and and he's such a great. Um, Dynamo of of a player, he, he drives all those players around him. So, yeah, um, Sid Going and, and Dave Loveridge probably um, in, in my era, and um, Aaron Smith uh, of of the rest. Uh, so, Brian, thank you very much for your time this morning. Always a great uh, chat uh, with you, uh, reminiscing about those uh, torrid Springbok days. But um, enjoy the rugby Saturday night. I know you'll. Uh, have a special thought for it, having been so heavily involved in it. Uh, and enjoy that Moana Pacifica occasion as well. You know, you've worked so damned hard too. Uh, thank you. Thank you again for your time. No, it's thank been you. wonderful. Thank you, Smithy. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. Brian, Sir Brian Williams there. Um, man, what a bloke. What an absolute bloke. Uh, and, John, I know we've got to go to the break, but uh, he picked me up on that uh, Pacific Islanders point. But I got that information from... Um, a biography about Brian Williams, where it talked about um, the New Zealand Ma- uh, New Zealand sides were inhabited purely by players of Celtic, Maori, or Anglo-Saxon origin, and by being the first South Sea Islander to play for New Zealand, Brian Williams broke the mould. So, I apologise to uh, the Solomon brothers and uh, all the relationship of of there and uh, and Mr. Batty as well. Uh, but I got my information 
uh, I thought from a pretty good source, and I always stand corrected. 10.23 here on SCNZ. Past Smithy, this is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Pleased to be joined this morning by Ricky Swanell from Sky Sport, Ravinda Hunia from Sky Sport as well. Uh, uh, a couple of uh, ladies who have got a vested interest uh, in particularly what's going on at the moment with the Silver Ferns. So, uh, Ricky, can I begin with you? Uh, that was a pretty yes. polished performance considering the build-up, wasn't it? Yeah, actually, I, w- I was pretty ple- pleasantly surprised, Smithy. I thought uh, England, well, I mean, they did push the, the Silver Ferns very hard, but as you say, considering the build-up New Zealand had, and the Ferns are having their depth quite tested, tested quite considerably at the moment when you think of the players aren't there, and a, a whole lot of new combinations and some new faces um, really fronted up well. I mean, it certainly it wasn't perfect and it wasn't pretty at times, um, but it was a, a pretty solid performance, as we say, given the circumstances. Ravinda, thanks for joining us. Uh, your debut on the panel this morning, uh, Tiana Maturo. Uh, player of the match, 20 years of age, making her debut in front of a very proud mum on the grandstand. Uh, what, a, what a start for her. Oh, and a silver fern star is born, wasn't it? She was absolutely outstanding. I think the one thing that really impressed uh, me most, anyway, is that she took that debut by the horns and really ran with it. You know, we've seen a few debutantes in the future who, you know, take a couple of games to get into it, get a feel for things, but she absolutely shone so brightly. She looked like she'd been playing there for blooming years. I, I, I kind of think, uh, Ravinda, I, I look at the, the way that uh, once they're under uh, Dame Nolene's tutelage and uh, she's actually hands-on with them as such, uh, I think that might have been England's best chance last night and they couldn't take it. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. You, and you could even hear Nolene on the sideline, couldn't you? Yelling at the girls, screaming out um, directions from the side of the court. You know, she really did have full faith in that starting lineup. Because I must admit, when I saw that starting lineup, and including Tiana Mituero's, um starting in goal attack, I thought, oh, okay, I wonder how this is going to go. But, you know, Nolene has been there, you know, in the few days that she's had to prepare these girls and has seen. Um, what they're all capable of and had full faith in that starting lineup, and, and look, it got the results in the end. Uh, can I touch on a, a different subject with you, uh, Ricky, please? Ty Webster's yeah. left the breakers, we're told, because of uh, the fact that he is not prepared to have um, COVID inoculation. Um, should, that, should that be an absolute necessity, um, or, or do, you, do you have the right as an individual to turn it down and still participate? Well, I think, but cards completely on the table, I think it should be an absolute necessity for everyone. I'm 100% vaccine. Um, and, you know, Ty Webster has made his choice. Um, and because of that, there are consequences. It is the world we live in now. Um, if sport and athletes, they are going to rely on travel to do their jobs. Um, and if you're a, a team that is going to have a guy who can't do some of that, then you've got to got to make that call I'm afraid like I you know it's it's harsh but I I I think you know there's a lot of without getting down too far down a vaccine rabbit hole um you know it's a it's a public health matter it's a community issue um and you know people who make those calls not to are now going to find that there will be restrictions so so you Ricky you work on a regular basis with a Sky crew quite a big outside broadcast crew 
Um, mm. would, would you imagine that, that they would all have to be as well, or would you just be more focused on the people around the commentary area? Um, it's a tough one. I mean, having just been to the Olympics with a, with a large group of, of them and, and with, um, you know, all the athletes, and we were very fortunate to be given the chance to be vaccinated early, and, and everyone I know who went took up, certainly took up uh, that chance. Um, I, I think... <laughs> I, as I say, I, as, as someone who is so pro-vaccination, I possibly would have the sideways glance at someone who isn't if I, if I know about it. But mm. I think it, individual businesses and companies um, do are going to have to make a call um, on what they want from their staff. And given the public-facing nature of, say, what our Sky Crew do, right, um, they are... Mm. Very, we are right in the seat of the action. Um, our cameramen and women, the soundies, all of that. I think that is something that the companies will have to think about. Um, sports, it's, go, it's going to come to a head massively for sport, and I think the big one we'll see is uh, in tennis soon with the Australian Open and whether that can go ahead. Um, and the you know the Australian government has, and this is why Ty Webster is in, is stuck, is going to mandate that. And and you know tennis has been a sport that has certainly had a lot of controversy around it. Ravinda, what's your feelings on, on the uh, inoculation issue? Yeah, look, I'll have to um, agree with Ricky on almost every front there, and I'm not taking a Sky Sport bias, but, you know, it's, safety is paramount. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're not just talking about, you know, competing in our own backyards or, you know, here in New Zealand. If we want to travel, we just don't know the dangers that are outside of New Zealand, I think, you know, Jacinda Ardern's, you know, put us all in these levels, you know, for so many, so many times, wrapped us kind of in cotton wool to a, to a point where we don't really understand how severe it is outside of New Zealand. So why wouldn't you take those safety precautions? And I think the fact that, you know, you could bring that back into New Zealand, those are, those are just, I mean, those are just the restrictions and, and like Ricky said, the times that we're in right now to be safe. So, Ravinda, I know that you're, uh, you're a fan of uh, mixed martial arts. Uh, I would have thought, with all the contact, the blood, the sweat, exactly around that, that that would have to be... I mean, that's just a given, isn't it? An uh, uh, inoculation in that, those sports? Most definitely. And, you know, even when we went into lockdown last year, UFC and probably the NRL were the only two competitions I knew of that we're still, you know, happening, that we're still up live and, and carrying on, not business as usual with no crowds and things like that. But you're right, the, you know, the amount of contact that they would have to have, they do have really, really, really strict COVID um, restrictions in place. Um, when they get to places like they've, they've had a UFC in Abu Dhabi, they've been doing them in America as well, but from place to place, all the restrictions change. And I think the UFC have done really well to perhaps um, in the nicest way, manipulate some of those rules depending on where they are state to state because they are so mixed in their restrictions and what they can do and can't do in, in, in different states. So I think the UFC kind of get away with it in that sense. But in saying that, when I've spoken to our um, UFC fighters that leave New Zealand and go to America, um, the COVID bubbles are absolutely strict, much like what I saw uh, with Ricky when she was over in Tokyo. You know, you can't burst those bubbles, you can't be in rooms with other people and test after test after test so but you're right you're right absolutely blood sweat tears literally yeah. well, Ricky <laughs> uh, you've obviously been across um, all these issues around the black caps and their uh, premature withdrawal from Pakistan overnight we hear the story that the white ferns have uh, 
maybe um, it turned out to be not credible, uh, had um, some sort of threat placed against them to the point where they went into lockdown in their hotel in Leicester. Uh, and what worries me about this, you know, Ricky, is that um, you know there are a lot of uh, angry Pakistan people out there, and they mm. might, they might just do this on a regular basis uh, just for the heck of it. But you, you cannot not, you cannot not take notice of it. Uh, I think there's a real problem developing here. Yeah, well, I mean, this is the flow-on effect, isn't it, of the the decision made by New Zealand cricket and. and you know, we, we um, can only go on their word about the credibility of the threat and the safety of their players and the decision that they made. But, of course, that has now, as we can see, had a flow-on effect to, to the White Ferns. And you, you can imagine it's just one of those kind of Looney Tune types. Um, but they are going to have to take everything like that seriously now because you can't, you, you know, you can't run the risk. And um, obviously we've seen now England have pulled out of their tour and the, the flow-on effect. And I, I want to say, and, and probably a bit more, the ICC have seemed to have been very quiet on, on this. Um, and so it's been a lot of, we've heard a lot from the Pakistan Cricket Board and you can absolutely understand why they are upset. I can totally understand that. But um, the ICC are going to have to take this in hand and they're going to have to do something pretty swiftly. Which you know, when you get to the the upper echelon of world sport, things don't tend to happen all that quickly. Sometimes, no, they don't. Particularly when there's money involved and priorities and <laughs> exactly. things of that nature. Uh, incidentally, uh, Ravinder on um, on the uh, UFC, uh, where's Dan Hooker at? What's uh, the next move here? Well, from what uh, we saw on social media yesterday, Dan Hooker was able to get his visa and passports and things. Um, all tipped off so he can fly out to Las Vegas to compete at UFC 266 this weekend. But, you know, as irony would have it, all our UFC fighters um, are struggling to get back into the country and then Dan Hooker was throwing a, a monkey wrench of not being able to get out. So <laughs> it was good news <laughs> that uh, he's been <laughs> given his, um, you know, his ticket out of here and um, hopefully, you know, we'll see him no holds barred uh, come the weekend. But, Lordy, it's such a disruption to his... Um, preparations for this fight and I just hope that he can overcome all of that and do his absolute best in the oxygen. 100th test uh, Saturday night, Ricky. 100th test, <laughs> ring box, all blacks. How are, you, how, are you, uh, how are you looking at this one? Well, sort of again, um, like it has been the last three weekends, planning my menu um, of what I'm going to eat and drink uh, prior to and in my test build-up, um, always a top priority. So I have to have a good think about that over the weekend. But, um, gee, I mean, this is the one that we have been looking forward to for the best part of, of a year and a half. Um, and I think, I don't feel like we were disappointed, but the Springbok team has been disappointing. Um, so that is going to take a lot for them to, to turn around what we've seen in the last couple of weeks because it, it hasn't been great. Um, whereas the All Blacks, I think, are playing great rugby. Sure, okay, guess what, the last 20 minutes or so um, against Argentina wasn't great the other day, or it wasn't as polished as they would have liked to finish, but they are running teams ragged at the moment, and, and I think they could do that to the box again on Saturday night. Ravinda, uh, we've been asking people, um, particularly those people affected by an extended lockdown, what would be, what would be your breakout takeaway meal? What would it be? <laughs> a breakout takeaway meal? Because mm. you can do that at level you know, three, you see. You can I order... can't believe you haven't got it planned, Rev. <laughs> well, I've, I've been so swamped with all these KFC memes. 
Uh, my kids <laughs> ask me for KFC all the time, so I'm going to have to go KFC. I'm going to have to back my family on this. <laughs> KFC. The dirty bird, as I was heard it, heard it was uh, someone <laughs> called it yesterday. The, the, the red and white stripes are going to be at your household then. Okay, uh, Ricky oh, Swinnell. Ricky, Ricky Swinnell, uh, oh, I just wonder, I just wonder, you know, whether, you, you know, you've been in, uh, when, uh, you've been in Japan recently, would it be a, a, a takeaway, uh, perhaps some sushi or something of that nature, or, or will you just go something a bit more Kiwi basic? No, no, I've got, a, I've got a plan. Look, I am an absolute, fried chicken is my all-time favourite food. It would be my death row meal, and I ate a lot of that in Japan. <laughs> I've made my own at home here in lockdown, but I've already got it planned. So Thursdays, I've obviously in on the SNZ Drive show, finish at 7 o'clock, and just up the hill from uh, where our studio is, a little place called Waka Noodle. So I've got a, a chicken pad key now with a little bit of extra chilli, lots of some veggies and some noodles, and I can already taste it. Oh, I can smell it. That's just fantastic. Oh, my God. I can't wait. It, it all makes I will, it almost makes me sorry to say I've been in level two for about three weeks now, but I'm not. <laughs> no, don't go that far. <laughs> okay, ladies. Hey, been great. A lot of fun. And I really do appreciate your opinions this morning, uh, Ravinda Hunia and uh, Ricky Swinnell have been the panel this morning. Thank you so much for your time. Great fun. 10.41 here on SENZ. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's been a fascinating morning here, folks. I've uh, really loved it. The panel was great, talking to Sir Brian Williams, uh, Yvonne Willering, uh, Phil Totharingi. It's uh, been chock full of quality, as have your texts, I have to say. Um, you've come in uh, this morning pretty hot on a number of issues, particularly uh, these halfbacks. John and I are going to go through our top four, and really the influence of some of your texts has made me scratch my head about the quality of mine. First of all, can we clear something up as well? Um, Mike says, it can't have been a very good book. I got my um, information about Sir Brian Williams on. Well, it was a, a biography about him, but he also points out, and quite rightly, that Arthur Jennings had played for the All Blacks in 1967, was still playing for Bay of Plenty when Brian was named in the All Blacks, of course, Arthur Jennings Fijian. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, quite clearly, um, that information was wrong. He was not the first uh, South Sea Islander uh, to play for the All Blacks. Uh, let's have a look at some of these halfbacks, shall we? Um, my best four number nines, uh, Mike says, uh, Edwards, Loveridge, Far Jones, Van der Vestazen. Van der Vestazen. So, um, Super Sid, Jus van der Vestazen, Jus van der Vestazen, Justin Marshall, Aaron Smith, uh, someone's come in and said, I want to put Justin Marshall in because uh, if you don't put him in on your show, he will be as shitty as hell and won't work with you. So fair enough. Uh, PJ might have been Justin. PJ Tamuka. Uh, PJ from Tamuka has come in with that one. Five best halfbacks of my lifetime in no particular order, says Tony. Chris Laidlaw, Jus van der Vestazen, Pierre Berbizier from France, uh, Gareth Edwards from Wales and the Lions, and Aaron Smith. Uh, Aiden from Havelock North on the subject of... Uh, Half, good, great halfbacks, Rob Howley, another great Welsh halfback. So they are flooding in, John, left, right and centre. Uh, and someone uh, has come in and said, when you lived in Princess Street, who was your neighbour, Winchester boy, Trev, or his brother? I uh, can't recall ever living in Princess Street. So maybe that was for Staffy or, or someone else. Um, mm, here's another one. Uh, hi, Smithy, on the vaccine debate. Got me... Th- 
thinking, great, Michael Jones not playing on Sundays. Yep, uh, that was a fact, uh, Paul. Hi, Smithy JD, you are right. Some really angry Pakistan ex-players and supporters on social media. But our player safety comes first. Of course it does. You can be lucky 1,000 times. You only have to be unlucky once, uh, says Anthony. And you actually have to sympathise with that theory as well. But it has, it has opened it up. It has opened it up. And um, every time you get a threat, whether it's over the phone or anonymous in some fashion, and they always are, of course, um, you, you now have to take it seriously. You absolutely have to take it seriously. And does that mean stop playing? Does that mean suspending this, suspending that? Um, when will it stop? When will it stop? Because there are a lot of bitter and sour people out there at times. 10.49 here in SENZ. Uh, let's, uh, let's go a bit more happy, a bit more upmarket after the break, shall we? He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. I'll jump in, I'll jump in first here on the back of that nahing. I'll jump in first here because uh, I'm sure Louis's got something he wants to grill me about. But here's the thing. Uh, Sam Collard, I see you off to ride in Queensland. Uh, Alicia already over there. Uh, so many of our jocks there, if you look at riding ranks over there, are there now. And then we can't get our best ones uh, out of quarantine to ride at spring carnival time. Our jockey ranks, pretty thin, my friend. Oh, Smithy, aren't they? What? I was looking forward to um, Sam Collett was meant to be on the show this morning, but she must have had her phone on flight mode for her departure on October 16th because she was um, unavailable. No, she she was riding track work and it spilled over, apparently. But I wanted to ask you, Sam, what can we do about the, the ranks? How do we thicken it up? Because it is thin. The depth charts aren't there. Alan Nicholas, who who looked like a real, well, is a really promising young apprentice. She's claiming three. She broke her arm and her leg at Te Araha on Sunday. Um, we're really lacking that kind of middle tier, I would say, that that kind of middle to senior tier jockey. There's lots of youngsters, but the, the kind of riders that you would happily back, the Sam Collets, the Andrew Calders, the Leiths, in a big race, they're just not quite there at the moment for whatever reason. Um, you know, it's a time where like Sam Spratt and some of those older jockeys, they're probably thinking, oh, might be worth hanging around because, yeah, there's rides for grabs, rides up for grabs, Smithy. It's, um, it is thin. It's a good point you make. Is that, am I drawing quite a long bow here? A, you know, really, really long bow. I mean, uh, some of these uh, exemptions that have been made, um, the Wallabies coming into town, um, of course, the, the four netballers released to go to Christchurch for economic reasons. Yeah, economic reasons mm-hmm. has been the reason. Now, economically, economically, am I drawing a long bow when I suggest that uh, people like Opie Boston and Leith Innes should be released uh, because it's economically better that they're on our horses? Well, how's this bloke, I mean, the, how's more... this prisoner got across the border? How, <laughs> like, there are, there are there's a lot of question marks. I mean, people are, people are traveling for work. It's not like you cannot go. The, the there was um the the silver ferns win, like it's mm. I I don't know whether whether there's a bit of a, a link missing here between the these jockeys not getting out and I mean this is their livelihoods and these are big races anyway. Smithy, I, I don't know. 
Hope, hopefully we get um, we get better news soon though, and, and they can get across the border and head down to Hawke's Bay. Hey, um, the Underwood, the Underwood Stakes is at Sandown. I know I've been run at Sandown this week. It's the Group One. Zaki a dollar forty. But you know the news we got. I said yesterday. I don't know what happened with Probabil. Well, she's backing up nine dollars or thereabouts in the market in the All In market at the moment. So she just didn't quite get the run that she, that she wanted, and she was finding the line really well last weekend. So they're backing her up in the Underwood. And it, look, I'd say Zaki's scared the field away a little bit so she's a chance day or night summer or winter he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa this is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ it's 11.03 here on SENZ Uh, if you listen at night you'll recognise the voice that uh, I'm about to introduce because uh, he takes us uh, into uh, the middle part of the evening, it is, of course, a Ricardo Ball of, um, I think, football fame. I think it's fair to say. I'm not sure there's uh, too many more avid football fans uh, certainly working for this company, but uh, around New Zealand, actually, that go to the extent of getting their body tattooed for their favourite team. Uh, Ricardo Ball, good morning to you. Manchester United through and through, and the beloved is back. The, 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 the prodigal is back and playing well for you. He, is he what, Smithy? Is he what? Is he what? He's uh, he's playing really well. Uh, he scored every game he started so far. I know it's not too many, but uh, it's it's not just that. It's you know it's the impact he has off the field. Uh, you know, in so many ways. Um, you know, one of the stories that, that st- struck out to me was there's a guy Lee Grant at Manchester United who's been signed as a I guess you'd call him a, a reserve goalkeeper, but to work with the young keepers coming through as well. And he told a story a couple of weeks ago about the impact. He said on a Friday night, the team will go to a hotel, they stay in a hotel and they have a dinner together and at the end of the dinner, they're allowed to cheat. So there's some, there's basically a smorgasbord set up of desserts of brownie and cream or apple crumble and custard or whatever. He says, and every Friday, the boys are allowed a, a, a bit of a cheat and so they go there and, uh, and they hit that at the end of dinner. He said, but not one person went to the dessert buffet since Ronaldo has been at the club, they all literally sat there and watched what he had on his plate. And if he didn't have it, they didn't have it. And uh, apparently, his uh, his diet is just uh, something else. And obviously, you know the way he looks at thirty six, going on thirty seven. It's uh, it, it's mm. no no wonder that that's the kind of impact that he's having, and people are kind of taking notice of what he does, and and that's some of the effect he has at United as well. It seems to yeah, it seems to work uh, on on outside appearances anyway. Uh, hey Ricardo, I, I'm not uh, offhand. Uh, um, mm. Before he came, they would have set season ticket prices. I'm sure at Old Trafford, but man, what would they have set them at now? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing. There uh, there are many stories uh, from fans who are talking about exactly what you're talking about, Smithy. And you know there was uh, one guy that I. Uh, deal with a bit in the uh, in the UK who said, you know, he'd do anything for his son. He's got a season ticket, but his son said to him for that Newcastle game, Ronaldo's debut back uh, back at United, Dad, can I have your ticket? I want to go and see Ronaldo. And he said, no, no, no way, no way. It's just not happening. So, so uh, yeah, I mean, those things were like gold. And that was the other thing that uh, even from back here, watching it on the TV, you noticed from watching United in previous seasons uh, since Fergie left to watching this was the noise, uh, the the atmosphere and the noise that was um, that was generated at Old Trafford for that game against Newcastle, having Cristiano Ronaldo back. It must have been on the pitch 
must have been uh, absolutely deafening. And there were just choruses uh, of chanting his name and singing his songs uh, at Old Trafford. It certainly has made a big difference at the club, I think. And to put it uh, into some sort of perspective, Smithy, I know this isn't an exact science, but if you look at the clubs that he's left, when Cristiano Ronaldo left Real Madrid uh, at the end of uh, 2018, the next season was the worst start to the league in club history. And he's recently left Juventus, obviously, to come back to United. They're currently in the relegation zone, the worst start in the clubs uh, in 66 years for that club. So that's the kind of impact he has off the field as well. It's a belief that he brings, and he just lifts everybody else's standards. And, and I think you're seeing that at United because, you know, I mean, they're equal top of the Premier League five games in, and I don't think that's happened for about 10 years. So, uh, as you say, five games in, uh, three at the top of the ladder, uh, and, and we're talking here uh, about Chelsea and Liverpool. Uh, you could never, ever write Man- Manchester City off, but are we looking at the old firm again, the old three or four at the top already, 38-game season? I think so, and I think you're right to not write off Manchester City. Um, I think what we are seeing from Manchester City is why they chased Harry Kane so hard in the summer, because there have been a couple of games where things have been tight and they have not been able to buy a goal because they don't have that out-and-out number nine. They don't have a, a striker. Uh, I think, you know, you saw it in the first game against Spurs, ironically, when Harry Kane wasn't playing for Spurs when they lost 1-0 at the beginning of the season. They dominated possession in that game but got hit on the break, uh, and they couldn't, uh, the way that Spurs set up, they, they just couldn't make uh, a dent. Um, but then the following two games, they beat Norwich and Arsenal 5-0, and you're thinking, well... Do they need that striker? But again, you saw a Southampton side who knew how to defend against them, and this was at City on the weekend, and they got a nil-all draw. We're unlucky not to get a one-nil win. Uh, they should have had a penalty, probably Southampton there. But uh, that, I think, has illustrated where Manchester City might struggle a bit this season against teams that really know how to sit in and play narrow against them. Uh, they don't have that focal point, and they don't have that player that can be in the box and just take those chances, that real predator in the box. So I think City will still be there or thereabouts. It's way too early to write them off, and they're only three points off the uh, off the lead. But it's an interesting one to watch, a development to watch, because I think we might see exactly why Harry Kane was so badly wanted by Manchester City. The Seagulls, Brighton at fourth at the moment. That's a, That's an unpredictable start. Is it what? There's a guy in charge at Brighton, Smithy, a young English manager uh, called uh, Graham Potter, who couldn't get a job in the UK, so went to Scandinavia, and he coached in Sweden. And he took a a small Swedish club from the third division to the top tier and won the league with them. Uh, And he was hired by Brighton off the back of that. Uh, well, so he, he went to Swansea first and then they, they picked him up from, from there. But he has done really good things at that club. They fired Chris uh, Hewton, who, uh, the former Tottenham player who had uh, been a manager at Newcastle and a few other places. He'd kept them up in the Premier League, but they weren't playing great football. The club decided that that wasn't the way forward, so they fired him and they put Graham Potter in. And he's changed the way they play. They play some really attractive football. The problem that they had last season where they struggled with relegation was they weren't finishing chances. They, there's a thing they have, uh, it's all stats-based, stats-driven now, Smithy, as you know, and they, they have a thing over there called XG, which is expected goals per match. Well, Brighton led the XG stats in the Premier League last season, expected goal, because of the chances they created, they just didn't put them away. But this season, they're actually taking those chances. They're putting those chances away. 
and uh, they're looking good. They're playing some good football. I mean, they beat Leicester City, who are a top six team last season, um, and the other teams they've beaten, to be fair, are teams you would expect them to be battling with, the Brentfords, the, uh, the, the Palaces, the, the Burnleys, and things like that, but I think there's really good signs, and you know, if you look at it from having to have 40 points to avoid relegation in the Premier League, five games in, they're a quarter of a way to that mark, which will be their first goal for the season, you would think. Because the financial uh, implications of staying in the Premier League are well documented. I mean, you stay there, you stay solvent. It's as simple as that. Uh, the problem uh, that uh, perhaps New Zealand's uh, fans have in terms of looking after or, or looking out for Chris Wood and his future is that Burnley, uh, already Burnley might be one of those under real pressure. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think um, it's it's a real pity too because one of the things that Sean Dyche, who is uh, the, the manager at Burnley, has struggled with over the over the last couple of seasons was that he didn't believe that the ownership were putting enough into the club. Uh, they were a, an ownership that had a very strict budget, a very strict way of doing things, and they were uh, they basically didn't spend a lot of money. And they they sold the club over at the end of last season, and they had these new American owners, and it looked like I think the promise of of money to be spent was there, but we haven't really seen it happen. I think they spent. 15 million on one player um, and they've made a couple of free signings and that's about it. They have, haven't really done a lot of business and I think the big worry for Burnley is that they might lose Sean Dyche who, uh, the manager who got them there and has kept them there and has done such a great job but uh, it's his last year in the job and he's not signing a new contract as yet because I think he sees that he's not getting what he was promised either so that'll be one to watch and I think you're right I think they could really struggle this season uh, I don't think that will be a problem for Chris Wood as such if you like I think given the goals he scored, the record he has in the Premier League, there will be teams that will come in for him and he will stay in the Premier League, but it will be with a different team if Burnley get relegated. I caught a little bit of uh, PSG uh, on telly yesterday. Um, and Ricardo, um, I, I just wonder, I, I, I didn't get too much uh, of the body language of uh, Lionel Messi, but I just wonder how that marriage has started out. Yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's flying yet. I wouldn't quite write it off yet. But I mean, you've got to remember that the reason that Neymar left uh, Barcelona in the first place to go to PSG was that he wanted to be the man. He wanted to be the guy that the team revolved around. Uh, and now he's got Lionel Messi back there, and he's also got Kylian Mbappe back there. And uh, all, all signs point to that Kylian Mbappe is not happy. Um, he's refusing to sign a new contract. Uh, you know, Real Madrid actually made an offer of about, I think, 180 million euros for Kylian Mbappe in the summer, and uh, PSG turned it down because they are certain that he's going to stay. They want him to sign a new deal, but he's in the last year of his contract, so Real Madrid can sit back and sign him for free in the in the summer. And all signs are pointing that he wants to go and he wants to leave. Uh, PSG doesn't want to play there anymore. And I wonder if we're seeing some of that. Is you know, we saw it with the Galacticos when Real Madrid put the Galacticos together. Uh, back in the 90s, they tried to put all these big names together. They played some good football, but it didn't always work. And you've got to manage those egos. And I don't know that Mauricio Pochettino, the former Tottenham man, is the guy to do that. I think he's a very good coach. But managing big egos, you need a big ego. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think that they have problems there. And trying to gel that and keep everybody happy, like who takes the free kicks, who takes the penalties, because they'll all want to do it. Because uh, they all want to get the stats, they want to get the numbers, and they all want to, you know, that ballon uh, d'or at the end of the season. So, yeah, I don't think that's going to be a completely happy marriage. And I, well, PSG will probably domestically dominate. I don't know that it's going to work for them in Europe.
closer to home, uh, can we just uh, focus uh, on the on the Phoenix, uh, Ricardo, their squad, uh, the way their squad's coming together, um, their base, etc. for next year, how, the forthcoming season. Uh, how do you see that developing along? I think it's developing quite nicely, actually. They've, um, they've kept the core of, of the team from last year. Um, I think the player that they really need to look at, at replacing is uh, Cameron Devlin, the uh, young Australian midfielder they had who was just so dynamic. You know, he won everything. He was like a terrier. If you had the ball and you were in the opposition shirt, he was on your heels, nipping at your heels the whole time. Uh, and he did think good things going forward as well. Uh, but he was out of contract and has since um, signed in the Scottish Premier League with Hearts, so uh, who were, were leading the league, actually. So he's done very well for himself. It's a good move for him. Uh, and I think it's a, he's a player that the Phoenix need to look at adding, uh, at replacing because you know he will be he'll be tough to replace. I know that they're uh, they're looking at a young Italian guy uh, Pennington who they have signed. They're just trying to get him a, uh, a, a an MIQ space to come over. So this is a a young guy who's actually Italian. His dad's Australian and he was born and grew up in Italy and he's been playing in the second tier. Of the of the Italian leagues um, and uh, Matthew Pennington, the most un-Italian name ever, but uh, he came through at Cagliari, the Serie A club, and um, he's uh, been there. Well, he was he went right through their academy uh, and then left in 2019 to get some first team football. So the Wellington Phoenix have signed him for the coming season. It's just a matter of when they can get his feet on the ground. And of course, we have that issue too, Smithy, about uh, when the A League's actually going to kick off because they have mm. talked about. Suspending the kickoff and putting it back till uh, sort of after mid-November, when once they get a better idea of what's happening with COVID in Australia. Uh, Ricardo, news has just come through well, in the last uh, day or so, anyway. That um, hopefully New Zealand football have given up on uh, the changing of the All Whites name, but they finally got them some games coming up. We're led to believe. <laughs> yeah, which is going to be going to be great. Um, good to finally have the All Whites playing some football. I mean, how long has it been? I think it's. Uh, it's over. It's over a year, isn't it? And I mean, you know, Danny Hay will be tearing. Uh, well, if he had any hair, he'd be tearing it out because he is desperate to, you know, get coaching and get these players uh, playing it into some sort of formation. And it's it's been hard for him to do. I mean, he's had the, uh, I guess the uh, the Olympics to to set up with the under twenty threes, um, but to have the full team available and and playing together um, against Coruscant and, and Bahrain in October is. Is, is going to be fantastic. I believe that the local players, so the Phoenix players, won't travel. Um, they will stay here. So it's going to be a team that's completely selected from Europe and the United States. But um, the way things are looking for New Zealand football at the moment, I think we have more players contracted in European professional clubs than we've ever had. So I don't think that that's maybe the issue. It would have been, say, five or six years ago. Uh, Ricardo, always great uh, to catch up with you, man. Your knowledge is unbelievable. And, folks, you can hear it uh, anytime you like on Extra Time uh, with Ricardo Ball, which is uh, at nights here on, on SENZ. Always exciting time in football, mate. There's always something going on. Uh, thanks very much for, for sharing your knowledge with us this morning. Uh, anytime, Smitty. Anytime. My pleasure. Yeah, cheers. Ricardo Ball there. Uh, yeah. You, you, you want to know about football? Man, you listen to him. And uh, his, his love of Manchester United, uh, like so many people around the world, is... Is undying. Um, quite staring. In fact, the text has just come in and said, uh, from uh, unnamed, I landed in Manchester a month ago after Ronnie left 
after Ronaldo left, the cab driver told me at the airport, no players, no players ever left United and gone on to better things. I'll bet he denies ever saying that now. Mm, so true. Uh, more calls, uh, 0800-150811. Uh, texts, double eight double three. after that. And then, uh, of course, yep, around 11.30, you'll get the nod to ring in for Stump Smithy. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Baz hits bombs from the middle. Izzy falls off his motorbike. That should be what that ad says. Uh, 11.23 here on SENZ. Um, plenty of news coming through, of course, overnight. Uh, this threat to um, the White Ferns, which uh, is deemed as being not credible, but you still have to take a very close look at proceedings here. That game tonight will go ahead. It's uh, between New Zealand and England. Uh, midnight it begins at uh, the Grace Road ground in Leicester. Meanwhile, England have withdrawn their men's and women's teams from uh, the series in Pakistan that were due to take place in October. Men were set to make their first trip there actually since uh, 2005, while the women's team had never been there before. Wonder if they'll ever get there. On Friday, New Zealand's men's uh, team, uh, of course, uh, we pulled out, uh, and I think that might have provided a bit of a spark. It might have just been the straw from England's point of view, because they haven't exactly said that's the whole reason they're not going. Um, but they did say we know there are increasing concerns about travelling to the region, but we believe that going ahead will further add pressure to a playing group who have already coped with a long period of operating in restricted COVID environments. And the other thing about that is interesting is that there's all sorts of talk about uh, the Ashes. Now, will uh, England even bother sending a first-strength team to the Ashes? Now, for me, that would be one of the most uh, insulting things that in cricket, if they didn't do that, I, I would really, I'd be really miffed. And not that they'd be worried about what I thought, but I'd, I'd be really miffed about that um, because uh, the Ashes is the essence of Test cricket. And to say we're not going to take a, a full-strength team there uh, because of various reasons about getting uh, wives and, and children over there. Um, it's over the Christmas holiday period that uh, traditionally uh, families, of course, like to be together. But this is a different world. And this is a different level of commitment. Very, very well paid, England cricketers. Very well paid. Um, per test match, I think they get astronomical amount of money. So, uh, look, the thing is, uh, I'd, I'll, I'll be very sad, put it that way, John, if, if that that tour, uh, that Ishes tour, did not eventuate. Real, real kick in the guts for cricket. Surely they've got to send a full-strength team down there. I kind of get the Pakistan situation for them. Uh, it's a pretty easy out now, and unfortunately for New Zealand cricket, we're the guys who ruined it for everyone. So I think when Pakistan uh, look we... at... Well, yeah, well, I think this is the way that Pakistan look at it, Smithy. I know it's not the way it is, and we had a real credible threat against our team, aimed at our team in Pakistan. They had to leave. I think everyone's agreed with that, apart from some Pakistan supporters who go, right, New Zealand left now, England's not coming. Whose fault is that? It's New Zealand's because they pulled out first. They set the precedent for everyone else not to come. We're the bad guys, I think, now, Smithy, in the Pakistan cricket community. Um, and mm. I don't think that's fair for New Zealand, but we're seeing now with the White Ferns, um, we don't know where the threats have come from, but New Zealand cricket teams are now opened for these types of threats. And I hope their games go ahead because it would be a shame that every time a sports team receives a threat, uh, they see this one's not credible. Uh, so the game will go ahead. 
I just hate to think that every time a New Zealand cricket team plays, they're going to receive threats, Smithy. It's 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 an interesting situation. It's not a great situation for anyone involved, really. No, it's not, and it could even happen here. Uh, it could even happen here. I mean, it only takes a phone call and an anonymous note, uh, whether it's to a team member, whether it's to a team official, whether it's sent to a hotel or whatever. It doesn't take much. I mean, you know, they empty airports uh, these days uh, on the side of a suspicious-looking package. Um, they empty all sorts of buildings uh, if something in the mail comes that is unidentifiable and just a little bit worrying. Uh, so you can see where it comes from and you can see how easy it is to spark it. Uh, and, you know, we've talked about this for the last uh, 48 hours, actually. New Zealand cricket did exactly the right thing uh, by their players. Um, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's going to be a, a situation that's going to have to be monitored very, very carefully um, and, and concerning to continually have, have to bring it up. But uh, on the subject of uh, some texts um, uh, in relation to what uh, Ricardo was saying, Sean Dyche has re-signed for another four years with Burnley. So uh, that will be good news for Burnley fans. Uh, in terms of the halfbacks, I also admired, uh, says uh, one texter, Aussie halfback and Hall of Famer Ken Catchpole. You probably wouldn't remember him, John, but he was a fantastic no. player. Des Connor, another very good Australian halfback. Uh, Catchpole was regarded by Chris Laidor as being the outstanding halfback of the 1960s. Uh, Smithy, what about Aaron Smith, George Gregan, Nick Barr-Jones, Joss van der Vesthazen? Uh, it's from Zane, uh, always a considered texter of Zane, he knows his stuff. Uh, yeah, um, look, we're, we're going to have a crack at it uh, very shortly, actually, uh, here on SENZ, John and I, greatest halfbacks. It certainly sparked a bit of debate. Uh, we've got four each. Um, I've had, uh, after looking at the lists that have come in, I've had second thoughts about some of mine. We're going to stick with them. Yeah. I'm going to stick with them. And, John, you've got a little bit of audio, audio et cetera, to play alongside of them. Um, but I'm going to have the courage of, of my convictions. Uh, see if you've got that at home. See if you've got the courage of your convictions to stump me. Uh, it's 0800 150811. 50 bucks worth of TAB vouchers at your disposal if you can answer three simple questions from questionnaire John Day here on SENZ uh, coming up very shortly. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Certainly is. Stumping people left, right and centre these days and Steve from Auckland could be the next victim. G'day Steve. Hello. How are you mate? You're doing well? Are you excited about level three which is level four with takeaways? Yeah, itching for it, mate. Yeah, mate, absolutely. Are you parked up in KFC at the moment in the drive-thru, or are you going to wait for tomorrow? Yeah, not worth the wait. Give it a day. (laughs) I've seen people maybe um, bringing a tent and going to camp outside, but, um, yeah, I'm not sure whether you're allowed to do that under Level 4. But, anyway, you know how this game works? Three sporting categories. You choose one, then get three questions right, and you win 50 bucks from the TAB, but get a question wrong. And Smithy comes in, whips the bales off, and you get sent home with nothing. All right, Steve, golf, basketball, or rugby league? Uh, Rugby league. Rugby league. All right. It's a popular topic uh, here on the quiz. Good luck to you. You big league fan, Steve? Yeah, day one wasn't fan. Oh, you poor, poor man. 1995, Auckland Warriors. You got a DB Bitter shirt? 
Yep, sure do in the archives. <laughs> good man. Well, none of those questions, none of the questions coming up are about the Warriors, so good luck. <laughs> Question number one. Tom Travojevic is the heavy favourite to win the Dally M Award this year. Who won it last year? Jack Whiten. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Right off the bat, no Google searching there, Smithy. Jack Whiten. Not, I think that might be a good quiz question in maybe 10 or 20 years' time, because I don't think he'll win another one. I wasn't even close to that. <laughs> I wasn't even close. <laughs> oh, a bit demoralising early on, but hang in there, Smithy. You might get a chance coming up now. Glenn Lazarus. Steve was one of the great props of the NRL. Which clubs did he win premierships with? I don't know the bloke, but he sounds like a doggies man. <laughs> you don't know Glenn Lazarus? Nah, can't right. say I do. Okay. Right, so yeah, you're going to go... multiple clubs. Yeah. Well, do I name one or a couple? Oh, mate, well, you can name as many as you like because I don't think you're going to get it right if you don't know who Glenn Lazarus is. The Brick with Eyes, they nicknamed him. He was that big and that good, but when were you born? 95. 95, oh, okay. All oh, right, and you're a day one Warriors fan. So straight from birth, Warriors fan. Didn't care about Glenn Lazarus. Have to say Bulldogs. Bulldogs. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Alright Smithy, I'm pretty sure you know who Glenn Lazarus is. Uh, one of the great props that ever played rugby league. Which clubs did he win premierships with? Well, I have, do I have to get the lot? Yep. Do I have to get the lot the next bit? Uh, well, I'm pretty sure he won one with the Raiders. So, uh, that that's stone cold certainly because I think his teammates with Lonigan were very close to being the Lonigan teammate. Um, I'm also going to say he may well have won one with uh, Manly. He's got it. He's no white, Oh, because you always throw Manly questions in. That's why I, <laughs> I do. Right. I do, Smithy. Okay. But that is not correct. The Canberra Raiders, the Brisbane Broncos, and the Melbourne Storm. Glenn Lazarus, three NRL titles with three different clubs. That means you're still alive, Steve. Finally. Here's hoping. This one is a little bit Warriors. Isaac Luke officially hung up his boots this week after 287 NRL games. Which four clubs did he play for during his career? Warriors, Rabbits, Broncos, Dragons. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Certainly right there, mate. Well done. Only one game for the Dragons last year before he moved to the Broncos and then an unhappy time there with the wooden spoon. But you've done it, mate. You've done it, Steve. You've won the 50 bucks from the TAB. Yeah, cheers, fellas. Anytime, Smithy. Gretchen. Another winner. Yeah, yeah no, uh, knows of stuff. Knows a, uh, a hell of a lot more about rugby league than I'll ever know. So uh, congratulations, Steve. Stay on the line. Uh, Brian, uh, we'll get your details. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm a Storm supporter, I know. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, and, and uh, to be fair, I'm busy this weekend. What are you doing? Uh, 11.36 uh, here on SENZ. Uh, what have we got coming up? Oh, we've got, we've got, uh, we've got uh, yeah, Mount Rushmore, the four halfbacks. Finally, finally, we will actually get an opportunity to say whose ours are. And uh, during the break, Phil, yep, I'm going to fix the squeaky chair. Good luck. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. 
Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. more time here on SENZ thanks to Jimi Hendrix there with the backing music. Uh, today our subject is great halfbacks greatest halfbacks that I've seen or influenced me while I've been watching the game of rugby so uh, John we're going to go 4-3-2-1 uh, we'll go one apiece so I'll start, you, you come in second my first one uh, is now 81 years of age, believe it or not 81 years of age played 25 tests for the greatest of all foes En dan telt Bresnian hem weer op. En dan is Jannie Engelbrecht daar. Nee, Geert Haver, Eben Wallyveer. En Eben Wallyveer die geeft hier voor Tommy Bedford. Tommy Bedford voor Tommy de Vrijel. Eben Wallyveer. That vintage commentary was against the Lions way back. South Africa against the Lions. You heard the name Engelbrecht in there. Jannie Engelbrecht, what a winger he was. Uh, but you also heard, if you're listening very carefully, Dowie de Villiers. Dowie de Villiers, uh, he is... My um, my favourite uh, Springbok halfback anyway. I know US Van der Vestesen has been probably better in this, his time since. Um, and, and it's very, very sad, um, the, the demise of uh, US Van der Vestesen. But in terms of uh, when I was growing up as a kid or whatever, uh, Dawid de Villiers was uh, very, very inspirational. So, John? Yeah, I'm getting an education today. I thought I knew about halfbacks, but I clearly don't because so many texts have come in about players... I've never heard of, uh, and that's one I hadn't heard of either from that era. Smithy South Africa's produced some great halfbacks, haven't they? Really good ones. So mm-hmm. that's someone I'm learning about today. Well, this is my number four. Smithy, a wee Northlander, uh, Sir Brian Williams' favourite halfback and my fourth best of all time. Shit going. Reverse pass to Brian going. And that's a try to Brian going, as simple as that. Sid going, Brian going, Ken going, 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 gone for the Māori All Blacks for North Auckland. Super Sid, uh, I know you've called him previously. I had a, uh, a VHS video when I was a youngster uh, called Mud and Glory, and it, it was all about the going brothers, and that's where I learned about Sid going, because before then I just thought the halfback passed the ball, and that's about all their jobs, Smithy, but Sid going had all the tricks in the book, and we see there a little reverse flick pass to his brother to score a try. So he had all the tricks in the book. My number four, Sid going. Sidney Milton going. Absolutely no problem with that at all. Uh, my number three was born in Zambia. One hundred and thirty-nine tests for the Wallabies. One hundred and thirty-nine tests for the Wallabies. Foundation Brumbies player. One hundred and thirty-six games for the Brumbies. Never bothered with anyone else. Four more years. Four more years. Say no more. George Gregan. Fantastic. Great bloke. Uh, for me, slots in quite nicely at number three. Absolutely, man. Sorry to Jeff Wilson as well. Just another time we've brought up that uh, footage and audio of him getting that ball knocked out of his hands, which made George Gregan uh, really appear on the radar for everyone, didn't it? And he just went from there, made every post a winner. Uh, my number three is also an Australian. Well, a punch up there between halfback Robert Jones and Nick Barr-Jones. They're all joining in now. It's punches for 
One of our texters said that he enjoyed a big halfback, so do I. And Nick, Nick Far Jones was quite a big man in his day and through a glory period of rugby for the Wallabies as well. I think from 84 um, through to when they won the World Cup in 91. So part of that last Wallabies team to win at Eden Park. Nick Far Jones loved a scrap. Uh, was into it. So he'd beat most number nines in a fight, I reckon, Nick Far jones and quite wily as well. So I know you've gone Gregan, which I'll probably give you the points decision, actually, maybe, uh, in terms of talent as a halfback. But in terms of a fighter, uh, I'm going to go Nick Far jones Smithy, my number three. Yeah, he lifted the WWE. Don't Let's not forget that. We're not talking about wrestling here. The William Webb Ellis. He lifted yep. it above his head in 1991. Next one, easy. Easy one, always in. Born in Cardiff. Chased by Alistair Snow. Brilliant. Oh, that's brilliant. John Williams, Brian Williams, Cullen, John Dawes. Great dummy. David, Tom David, the halfway line. Brilliant by Quinnell. This is Gareth Edwards. A dramatic start. That was the try from the end of the earth. One of the greatest, uh, clearly, of all time, uh, New Zealand or the All Blacks against the Barbarians. God almighty, I can just see it now. Even listening to it, you can see those passes. You, you can see that silky movement and uh, the little Welsh number nine diving in the corner to, to seal the deal. What a try. Absolutely brilliant. Knighted now, of course, Sir Gareth Edwards for services to rugby. 53 test matches for Wales. 10 for the Lions, instrumental on the great, the great Lions touring side that came here in 1971, integral part of it, no problem at all. No yeah. problem at all, Gareth Edwards. Man, and when you um, said you were going with Gareth Edwards and I found the audio, you type in Gareth Edwards into YouTube and just so many epic tries from Gareth Edwards pop up. Just one of those number nines, it seems, Smithy, who was ahead of his time, just mm. had all the skills in the world and that Barbar's try against the All Blacks, one of the most famous of all time. I've gone to South Africa for my number two. Now Kruger. Much better tackling by the All Blacks. They drove him back. Thunder Vesthaisen. Oh, the ball almost fell for Joel Stransky. Still going. Thunder Vesthaisen. Yes, Thunder Vesthaisen. You could go, you know... Uh, you could go so many South African halfbacks. You go Furry de Prayer, Ruan Pinar. But I just think Yus van der Vestesen in that uh, time, it was up against Justin Marshall, up against George Gregan. I just felt like he always got the better of those guys. He always finished on top. And the Springboks played so well against the All Blacks. And he was like the heart of that side um, in 1995, stopping Lomu. You know, when Lomu was unstoppable, there was Yus van der Vestesen round his bootlaces. Never scored against the Springboks, Lomu. And I think guys like Yust were the reason why. And, of course, they became really good friends and we all know what happened to Eust in the end. Um, I think motor neuron disease mm. or something like that. Really, mm. really sad. Yeah. Um, but growing up, Eust van der Vestesen was the best number nine on the planet, which was hard for me to admit as a Crusaders and Canterbury fan as a young kid that someone could be better than Justin Marshall. But I think he was, Smithy. So Eust van der Vestesen, number two on my list of Mount Rushmore halfbacks. Okay, my number one, pretty easy, really. Born in Palmerston North. Went to Fielding Agricultural High School. Uh, grew up wanting to be a hairdresser and ended up being, in my book, the greatest halfback of all time. Easy. Now the All Blacks start ahead. Not a problem, has it. Black broke away. Aaron Smith.
challenges. Puma's defense well and truly broken up, and he's cashed in. And not only that, not only that, uh, he's going to add to an already strong turbo side in the next few weeks as well. Aaron Smith, uh, 101 caps. Also, of course, a possessor of one of those famed silver caps for the All Blacks. Undoubted, Aaron Smith. So give us your best shot. Give us your best shot at beating him. Go on. I can't, Smithy, because Aaron Smith is the best halfback there's ever been. I am in total agreeance. Uh, I don't think anyone on the text machine would disagree. I know Mark Stafford, who's patiently waiting for his show to begin, punched the air with delight when he heard Aaron Smith coming out on top of your Mount Rushmore of halfback, Smithy, and how could I beat that? I can't. It's etched in stone. Aaron Smith, the greatest number nine the world has ever seen. Whoa, okay, right. Fantastic. We'll leave it there. I thought Staffy was punching the air because, uh, punching the air because of course, uh, he can get some takeaways tonight. But um, later, early, early hours of the morning, and uh, he's probably got it confirmed that his order, is, his order has been accepted and coming through. Uh, at 5 to 1 tomorrow morning. Good luck. Uh, 11.51 here on SCNZ. We will talk to the man himself. The man himself. Will he have a number one halfback that is different to us? Uh, very shortly, Staffy, before we say goodbye at midday. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. 11.56 here. Let's uh, pop across to uh, Staffy. Mark Stafford, of course, between... 12 and 4 this afternoon on Afternoons. Uh, any disagreement with you, uh, Aaron Smith? Nuggy, is he your number one? Nuggy is my number one. Um, I didn't hear your earlier ones. I came in when you were up to about number two or three, so I've quickly jotted down mine. Aaron Smith, number one. George Gregan, number two. Uh, mm-hmm. Furry Dupree, for me, number three. Ooh. And guys that yep. played against him said he was the toughest guy they had to mark. And I've got a tie for fourth between Mark Donaldson and Jamie Booth. Smithy? Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> did, John, did John Gilman not get a spot there? How unlucky is he? Not quite. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Unsurprising, oh. though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't believe that. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Moving along to something far more sensible, your show this afternoon, please. What do you got lined up? Um, actually, probably a colleague of yours from the cricket world, Smithy from Talk Sport. We're talking to John Norman about the revelations that have come out now. I mean, hot on the heels of New Zealand, pulling out of Pakistan. England are pulling out as well, uh, which I think will take the heat off New Zealand cricket a little bit because we had a reason. This is an excuse. That's how I sum it up. Um, Cycling New Zealand and Sport New Zealand are coming out with the announcement of their inquiry. So uh, a guy that's very close to that, Eric Murray, albeit a rower, he was very entrenched and a spokesperson for what went on around Olivia Podmore, the tragic news. So we're having him on after they make the announcement. Uh, So I think that goes from 12 to 12.40. So we'll have Eric on just after one. Uh, Anna Stanley, looking back at the netball, but the big one today, Smithy. I love a big one. Have you watched Icarus? I've heard about this. I've heard about Icarus, yeah. No, but I haven't watched it. So we've got the filmmaker that made Icarus uh, out of the States today. Um, It's just one of Netflix's most watched documentaries. Brian Fogel will be joining us uh, after 2 o'clock, and I cannot wait to sink my teeth into, gosh, the change that he made to drugs and sport, 
he basically, his documentary got Russia banned from sport because of his findings. Uh, it'll be a fascinating chat. Look forward to that, Staffy. As always, 12 to 4 uh, this afternoon. Yeah, Icarus. So many people have been talking about that. Watch that it, Smithy. You the, have to watch it. Yeah, it's, it's on my bucket list. It's on my bucket list, Staff. It really is. Uh, thanks very much to uh, everyone for listening today around the country. Uh, been a good show, busy show. We started with uh, Yvonne Willering, of course, and then um, Sir Brian Williams, uh, not taking away from anyone else that was on the show, but that is seriously New Zealand sporting royalty. Uh, Trudy, absolutely fantastic, as always. Uh, Brian, very, very good. Very, very good. Uh, John, yes, excellent. Particularly love that audio in the background of Mount Rushmore. Outstanding. Uh, have a great afternoon, everybody. And uh, we'll see you again tomorrow. As the all